Welcome to Hebrew Hits Podcast. I'm your host, Malia. Today, I have Mickey Flamenhoft and Atara Solo with me. They work for Migdal R, which if I show you this book, I think you will recognize it. This is a living legend, Rabbi Grossman. So it's very interesting how I came to meet you. Well, I met Mickey first and then I met Atara. I did a really nice thing for my sister-in-law and she gave this to me as a gift. I got this gift on a Thursday, and Sunday morning, my father came home from shul and said, Rev. Grossman is speaking in Young Israel. And I was like, what? The Rev. Grossman of the book is speaking? He's here in person? Wow, what's going on here? I got to bring the book and have him sign it. Little did I know he wasn't speaking in person. He was speaking over Zoom, but that allowed me, it was actually on Tu B'Shvat, and that allowed me to meet Mickey, who I went up to, started speaking, and I was really intrigued about Mickey Lara. I thought it was a really cool organization. So I have them here today to talk about Mindelar. Welcome to the show. How are you doing today? You're listening to Hebrew Hits. I'm your host, Malia, and I'm so excited that you're tuning in to this show because that means that you want to succeed in life and you do not want to fail. Many of us go through such difficult challenges in life, and it's up to us not to fall victim to them. It's up to us to rise above it and to succeed. I sit down with people who have gone through real big struggles, and show that they overcame them and are super successful today. It's what you do, it's what you have that makes a difference. Hebrew Hits is presented by TMC. Great, thanks for having us. So, Atara, question for you. How did you get involved in Migdalar? Wow. So, I'm originally, um, actually originally American, but Mm -hmm. made Aliyah when I was a teenager. I grew up in Yerushalayim, and uh, once I got married with my children, moved to Modin. Ever since I know myself on a professional level, I've been working in the nonprofit world, and I grew up in a home that, that lived and breathed nonprofit. My parents um, founded their own, and so that's been my bread and butter. I love that. So, so what about Migdal Or intrigued you? And tell me a little bit about Migdal Or. Yeah. So Migdal Or, um, for me specifically, I actually, to be honest, came across it by chance. Okay. Um, I always had heard about this legend. You spoke about the living legend, Rabbi Grossman. Yeah. In Israel, the Rav is a name. And I really didn't know much about the extent of what the Rav did. Mm-hmm. I lived in Modi'in, lived a very comfortable life, and to be honest, was not aware of what existed just outside my doorstep. Wow. That so many people were living under the line of, beneath the line of poverty, that struggled, that faced day-to-day challenges, that their children didn't have food on their table. To me, it was foreign living where I lived. Mm-hmm. And in the world of nonprofit, I was working in other nonprofits at the time, yeah. someone came up to me and said, you know, there's this great organization. You may or may not have heard about this rabbi. His name's Rabbi Grossman. I was wow. floored. And I said, I have to hear more. Wow. And when I learned more about the challenge that exists out there, I couldn't not meet this individual, this incredible man. Yeah. And I, in the beginning, I kind of said, you know, maybe I won't go. I'm happy where I am, you know, some Mechalko mm-hmm. type of thing. And <laughs> someone said to me, just meet this incredible man. And when Rabbi Grossman walked in the room to meet me, I looked in his eyes and I saw... True chen. Wow. And for me, that was what sold me, really, that moment. It could have been any, anything else that we, he would have said afterwards, yeah. but that moment was a special one. And what he continued to share with me was that Migdal Or helps over 10,000 underprivileged and orphaned children mm-hmm. every single year in Israel. Over 10,000? Yeah. Wow. That's incredible. Yeah. It really was amazing to hear that. And I said, you know, well, what do you do? And where do you get these kids from? Yeah. 
Um, so these kids come from all across Israel. Mm-hmm. We have one very large campus up in the north, which is where Mezalor was founded. Mm-hmm. And we have a few other campuses around the world. We have a hundred around the world, around Israel, yeah, which is yeah. the world. And, right? I'm about the to say, like, yeah. and I'm thinking, like, are you going to open a, one in America and then you have them around the world? So you have yeah. them around Israel. So we have them all across Israel. Uh-huh. We have 160 youth clubs across Israel as well. Yeah. And to me, that magnitude was incredible. And to hear that the challenge was so great, that yeah. we were a country that was a Jewish state, but unfortunately, a, a rapidly growing um you know, demographic of poverty, of mm-hmm. individuals, of children, of families living under the poverty line, to me, so was astounding. Yeah. And I had, I like I said, I couldn't say no to the rabbi, to be honest. Yeah. That's number one. Um, number two, I realized the challenge was so great, and there was such a need. And if 10,000 children plus are in the care of Mintel or how can I not jump in and help? Right, of course, and it's, it's incredible. So... I really love what you're saying about Migdalar. I want to jump to Mickey for a second before I actually fully respond to you. Yeah, go ahead. Because I want to know, now Mickey, Yes. when <laughs> I showed up there at the Young Israel and I met you, like, did you ever think that we'd be sitting down to a podcast? Like, what was, what did you think when I came up to you? So I actually wanted to address that. First thing you know that that's a tactic that we use all the time. We uh-huh. say Rabbi Grossman's coming to town, and then we show up and we say, "Oh no, he's not really coming. He's just on Zoom. We're bringing a photo." Yeah. So that's one of our tactics. But to be honest, I was actually I just moved recently from the states, like Atara did from Israel. Mm-hmm. She came three years before I did, and it was one of the first events that I arranged. Someone from our Israeli office said, "Rabbi Grossman has, you know, he's a very busy schedule, but he's got 15 minutes, and we can do, you know, 15 minutes, an hour. Mm-hmm. We can do something for two bishvat." And, um, and we said, you know what, maybe we, we'll do something in the five towns. We haven't done there something in a while, and we or- organize this beautiful event. And, and you know what, you're asking, uh, did I uh, imagine? No. And that's, I think, something that I've seen in my last year with Rev Grossman. Anything you think that is going to happen, you know, you, you, you have one idea that maybe this will happen, yeah. and it takes you in a whole different direction. You know, we met there. You told me, oh, I thought I'm meeting Rev Grossman, but I just bought the book. We connected, we started staying in touch, we talked about doing events in the five towns, and then we rolled here. Right now we're here sitting, I don't know, it's almost eight months later, and we're sitting at a podcast. It's so wild. And like what you're saying really shows me that Hashem is running the world. Because there's no reason why I had to get this book two days before Rev Grossman I thought was in America. And I brought my radio equipment, which you don't know, because I was like, if Rev Grossman's here, I'm interviewing him. And when he wasn't there, I was like, oh... Okay. <laughs> you get the second best. You get yeah, the second exactly. Best. Exactly. But now that I know it's your tactic, right. it's like, okay. <laughs> but like, it really is interesting how Hashem really does run the world. And Hashem puts everybody into the place where you are meant to be. And you both are meant to be in Megdalar. You seem like you love it and you are living it. Like, not only was Rav Grossman a very special person, but in order for what I see, in order for him to have, like, have grown this huge organization to what it is today, he has to have great people like you working with him. So, Atara, how has Rev Grossman and Migdal R affected your life personally? So, as I began to say before, um, on a personal level, to come to the realization that there are so many people that are living a lifestyle that is so far away from the lifestyle that I was living mm-hmm. and who are struggling, for me, I always want to take my place within Amistad. 
it's always, everything I've done on a career level has always been involved with Am Yisrael, Medina Yisrael, mm -hmm. focusing on Israel and helping the people of Israel, helping people come to Israel. That's been what I've done my whole life. And you've always lived in Israel? And I haven't always. I grew up in the States. I moved okay. to Israel when I was 14 years old with oh, my wow. family. It wasn't my decision. Okay. <laughs> but it worked out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and um, I, I lived there since then. And really the only reason why I'm back here in the U.S. is because of my Grossman and Miguel Orr. And I really made that decision, which was a hard one. It was actually, I had no intention of leaving Israel um, and living somewhere else. My dream is to live in Israel, where I want to raise my children and continue to raise them as in Israel. But when I heard what the Rav was doing, and helping kids with everything they need, giving them the essentials, a family, a home, clothing, food, psychological support, giving them an education, giving them tools to succeed, empowering them, not just giving them a handout and expecting them to do something with it and maybe go back to their ways. We're giving them a hands up. And to me, that, that moment was the moment that I was inspired, is meeting, that, meeting the rabbi that day, hearing what was going on outside of my own small little yeah. circle, and realizing that there was so much to do. And because of that, I considered and explored coming to the U.S. So interesting. Like, yeah. you literally picked up your life for, for a dream that someone had, which it just blossomed into this beautiful thing that he's literally, he, he's a father to so many. Really? And that's like the one word that I have for him. It's like he's a father for so many. And when I started reading this book, I was like, how in the world does everybody love him? Like... How can I emulate that so that everybody can love me as well? Because he has a certain power that people, it's not that people are clinging to him, but people are like, like he's like a sponge mm -hmm. for like people that just want to grow and be loved and do the right thing, mm -hmm. you know, and he pulls people in. So it's so interesting for, for me to like hear this from you guys, from, from both of you, you I know, can tell you you something just funny that happened to me on the way here in the yeah. car talking about it. I have my old neighbor from 15 years ago. He's a rabbi. He has mm -hmm. nine keys already. Grandfather had nine children. Very interesting character in Israel. He's actually writing a, sort of like a, something with the Gemara, like an interpretation to the Gemara. Big you know, thing that he's doing. And I get emails from him because I'm on his mailing list. Uh -huh. And he wrote something. He, wrote, he listed you know, something, four names of rabbis, and one of them was Rav Grossman. So like, why is he? He has nothing to do with Rav Grossman. Why is he writing his name? So I opened up the email. And his email was about, he says, usually I give you content about Kamara, but I say, what makes a great age educator? It's, you know, I named a few of these people. It's that their unconditional love that they had to people. Wow. And he named Rav Grossman as one of those four. He named Rav Arya Levine, Rav Grossman. And, and then I realized this is the impact. You know, this, I read this now an hour ago, yeah. you know, but Rav Grossman impacted everybody. When I was growing up in Israel, I knew of Rav Grossman. So when I met him the first time, of course, it's Rav Grossman. But I had no clue, goes maybe what Atara said earlier, what he was doing on a day-to-day -day basis. We knew the character, the figure, you know, the Israel Prize Laureate Rav Grossman, the disco rabbi Rav Grossman. Yes. But when you go into the stories and you read the book, and maybe what you said earlier, how Hashem led him, I don't think Rav Grossman either imagined that, you know, one day he'll be running this literally empire of chesed, mm -hmm. you know, that supports kids all around, you know, all across Israel. Yeah. And, and another thing that I want to point out, which you just said, is you just started naming a few different basic titles. Right. You know, like basically it's titles for a grossman. And they were all different. Right. And the one thing that I was able to pick up was that his whole thing is like, he doesn't care who you are. He doesn't care how you look. He looks at the soul of a person, and I think that's really how he connects to someone. And by the way, the reason why I was so intrigued with Migdal R 
was because when I go to different events, sometimes I'm not so comfortable and like, I don't, I'm not part of it. So I don't fit in and nobody knows me. But when I went to the Young Israel and I sat with and watched Rev Grossman live on Zoom, and then the, the way that the people were reacting afterwards, everybody was talking to me, how are you, who are you, what are you doing here, this is Middelar, and they're like, come to the dinners, and I'm like, what dinners? And I was like, why are, why are you guys so welcoming? Like, right. you're so welcoming. So I saw that, and that is why I was right away intrigued. I'm like, give me your pamphlet, like, how can I donate to this organization? Because when someone is at the top of their organization that they built, Sometimes they're not in tune with their employees or the people that are that are a part of them. But with Rev Grossman, all of you guys exemplify the same unity. That that how did that even happen? Like how does that work? It's so incredible to see. Well, I think that's really what it's all about. Mm-hmm. Is that that is a core value for Rabbi Grossman. Mm-hmm. It's the like Mickey said, the unconditional love. Um, the the value that there's a, a Jewish soul, and it doesn't matter mm-hmm. who you are, where you come from, what you do, what you associate with, you're a Jewish soul. And I have mm-hmm. to be there for another Jewish soul. And when you think about, you know, we're sitting here in the United States. Yeah. Um, both of us are Israeli. Yeah. And American. Right. And we're sitting here, and we're doing things for Migdalor here, while all of our programs really are supporting children in Israel. And part of, I think, what's so inspiring, and probably, and maybe I can't speak for you, but definitely for me, in coming across an ocean, again, not on a boat or anything, but... but oh, not, not a boat? No. Really? This time, no. Not this time, no. Not this time, I decided oh, to have my game and take a plane. Oh, okay. Fine. So we made a sacrifice moving to the States, you have to understand. For it us, it's a downgrade. For yeah. us, it's a downgrade. Yeah. That's why they call it, right, Yerida. Yeah. Leaving Israel will always be a redact. And you know, I so, learned that from you because I heard you make Aliyah. Right, exactly. So. And there's there's a concept of Yerida, mm-hmm. it's in Hebrew, Yerida, the Tzorech Aliyah. The purpose of going mm-hmm. down is to actually bring yourself up or bring others up. Um, that. And that I think is really, you know, I think for both of us, we've kind of spoken about this before, you know, we're, we're here for a purpose. Yeah. We're here for that core value of, you, you mentioned, you know, you're in that room and you're feeling it, even though yeah. Robert Grossman's sitting in Israel on a Zoom, right? Mm-hmm. But there's this community that's happening with his supporters, the friends of, the people who love yeah. Rabbi Grossman. They're not the kids who he's helping. These right. are people around the world. And I think that comes from a very strong compass and a core value that is emulated across oceans and yeah. around the world. And that's why the Rav is a living legend. That's why what Migdalor is so much, it's so great in just what it does with, with children mm-hmm. in need. But it's so much greater because it's a sense of community. It's a family. It is. It really, really, really is. Do you feel that you're lacking something being in America, not in Israel? Like, being so I, I actually want to sense. answer just because I want to make a correction. Because even okay. a lot of people, we joked about the Yerida. A lot of people say it to me. They're like, what? You made Yerida? And then I say, <laughs> well, we're here you know, for a certain amount of time. It's a supporting organization. But Tara and I both have family from Israel. Both our families. My parents made Aliyah before I was born. So I never grew up in the U.S. But... At the end of the day, moving, you know, our lives is a big shift, right, mm-hmm. for sure. And, you know, um, and, but we don't, what pulled me in, maybe going to the question that, you know, you asked Satara earlier, is was that when you see the American Friends, we, there's an organization called, this is what we work for, American Friends of Migdal War. And to see the amount of supporters, thousands and thousands of donors over the year, tens of thousands of donors over the years, mm-hmm. and board members, and people who, you know, stakeholders, who really get invested, and, you know, t- to me, that was like, 
the knock on the head that said, you know what, so many people are willing to get behind it, you know, and I can play a little role in, you know, making those connections, mm -hmm. building the bridge. And so to me, that was the amazement, you know, of course, we're grossman, but to see, wow, you have, you know, not many organizations have an international, we have a British desk, we have a Canadian desk, we have a U.S. office, which is one of the, you know, is the biggest one around the world. And it goes back to, you know, when you said Rev Grossman, it's because what, you know, how he, um, that title he has, is because chesed is contagious. Yeah. And when you, you're in a room and you feel it and he's so authentic and it's not fake, then everybody just wants to rally behind it. That's, that's seriously incredible. I, I'm, I'm still stunned by the power of one person. Like, you're sitting here with me. You're sitting here with me. How are that's we here? the power of two, right? This is, and <laughs> this is the power of three, I guess. Right the power now. of three. But the fact that he, at such a young age, just, like, left where he was living, it just, le like, literally, like, left the practically. But the fact that we're sitting here, his dream became a reality. And that's so incredible. But what I do want to ask you, Mickey, is what challenges those you face? There must be some challenges not being on site in Israel. Um, yes, many. Well, I think that is probably one of our biggest challenges. Sorry, you can correct me if I'm wrong. But um, okay. of course, because you asked, you know, we, we operate in Israel. Uh -huh. And um, that's where the kids are. And it's across the country. Um, today, traveling between Israel and the U.S. is obviously easier than it used to be in the past. But again, it's not, since our operation base is not here in the U.S., um, we don't have a volunteer. A lot of guys and girls want to come up to us and say, we want to volunteer. And we can't do that here okay. in the States. We can say you go to Israel, we can sometime try to facilitate something and you can go and see and visit and of course meet, but it's not the same. And then it's obviously, you know, people's schedules when they're on their circus break or pencil mm -hmm. break. So that's a big complication. And I think, you know, that's why it's so crucial for Tara and I to be those ambassadors. And I think really, again, that was the show of trust that we saw from um, our board members and the office here and Rev Grossman because they could have found someone local, like, and that's how it used to be in the past, and it was successful for many years, but they said, you know, if we really want to, you know, as we continue to grow, maybe bringing someone from Israel can be a new, fresh air, because, and, you know, American-Israeli, we can really bridge that, mm -hmm. you know, bring something more authentic, yeah. and, since our operation is not here, and we can kind of, you know, give that sense of what's going on. But you didn't just... Like, you're not the only one that's sacrificing not living in Israel. Your children, your wife, like, your whole family moved here. Um, correct. We moved with families. Um, you know, we, at the end of the day, we did want the experience. There's something, we gain a lot of it, and our kids are, you know, exposing to, you know, sometimes when you live in Israel, it's a good, kind of a narrow-minded mm -hmm. event. Everybody's the same. So it's actually a bit of a benefit also. Oh, okay, good. Yeah, I think there's a lot of benefits in learning and, you know, meeting new people and different backgrounds. I think Israel can learn a lot from America, actually, okay. on, that, on that side. You know, Israel is very divided by politics and religious and secular. And Rav Grossman, again, he is that person. He, on, on the side, when he's not helping kids, he's, you know, he's putting politicians together and trying to form a government. He's really an incredible person. Honestly, yes. I don't know how he has enough time in the day. Do you agree with what Mickey's saying with the challenges? Or do you have anything you want to add? Well, that would be probably our largest, our biggest challenge. Our greatest challenge is really that we're so far away. Mm -hmm. While we feel very close, and Mickey kind of explained yeah. why we feel more close, but to not be able to send somebody to hands-on, you know, work with the kids. Mm -hmm. and people want to do that. Yeah, they really they want to. And it's hard also. It's hard for our friends and supporters, our board members, that it isn't so simple to get to Israel in that sense and to get to the campus and to spend time there. And of course, when people go to Israel, everyone has a million things they have to do also. And it's not that Migdalor is less, right. but it's just not that same ongoing day-to-day -day opportunity where if I have 
a couple of days a week where I want to give of myself. Mm-hmm. I want to go hands-on work with these kids. Right. We can't offer that, unfortunately. Right. So it is a challenge. So um, why don't you open up an American... Like, there's so many kids here that need help. It's true. You know? It is true. And it's a question we get asked often. Okay. Um, and, you know, sometimes an organization, in order to excel in what they do, really needs to be focused on a niche element of challenge and find a solution for that challenge. Okay. And um, where we focus is on the children of Israel. Um, for the rabbi, growing up, and you kind of alluded to it, but it really is the power of one yeah, um, that you really mentioned. Is. It's He is one individual who, after the Six-Day War, was inspired by the fact that Jerusalem was in our hands. He was standing at the Kotel and couldn't contain himself. He couldn't leave it within himself. He had to give to others. Okay. And that's what started this whole empire of chesed, this yeah. empire of support for children, this care for others and he really took up his he took his wife and little baby yeah, and they traveled up north and the roads were not what they are today uh, and they we, were on a donkey they were on a donkey <laughs> no but i also hear that it was really challenging for his wife like it was. it was so challenging and like you don't ever think about the wife you think about this dream that he created but like his wife sacrificed so much she really did but you she know? she has and if god willing one day you'll meet her um and Rebus and Grossman <clears throat> is an incredible oh, woman i'd love to and they are a unit What's beautiful is, you know, she she and the Rav together are this unit of chesed, of care. She is, like you said, the Rav is yeah. a father. Mm-hmm. She's a mother to these kids. Wow. It's, I love that. Yeah. It's, like, it's so world. heartwarming because, like, these kids don't, like, they don't have parents. A lot of them are orf- orphaned kids or, yeah. you know, immigrants and they their families are, you know, uh, not the most functional, right. if you if you may say. And they literally bring them in just one kid at a time. As I was reading the book. It was each kid individually, like, oh my gosh, it's going to make me emotional. But it's like each kid individually, it wasn't that he was talking to a crowd. Correct. Yes, he was down there in the disco, but he wasn't talking to like, hey everyone, I'm the rub. It was like, no, it was each kid got individual attention yeah. and like every kid felt like they were the only one to him. Yeah, and I'll and share. that's why it's so special. Yeah, and I'll share something else. I was once, I believe it was probably, probably approximately a year ago on one of my trips to mm-hmm. Israel. And I went out to Mizaha Emmett, our northern campus. And I sat in the Grossman home with the Rav. And it was really just a one-on-one with me and Rav Grossman. And we're talking about, you know, what we can do and how else we can help these kids. And in comes the Rebbitzin, Rebbitzin Esther Grossman. And she's very excited. She said, what can I give you? What can I, you know, can I offer you something? I said, no, no, it's totally fine. I'm I'm set. She said, actually, I want to share something with you. She left the room quickly. And she comes back in with a pile of albums. And she said, you won't believe what I'm doing. From the archives, from the archives. I just went in and I pulled these out and she starts opening up these albums and showing me pictures from Mm -hmm. the 70s, from the 80s, from the 90s, till today, literally. And she's pointing to each kid and she goes, oh, and and we stopped our meeting completely. It just shifted. Oh my God. And the rest said, you don't understand. This is, these are her children. These are our children. And we went through different, and she goes, do you remember Yossi? Yossi, you know where he is today? How amazing. How, what a great picture of him. How many kids have gone through those doors? And how many how many kids in the average? Tens of thousands of children. Wow. We're over twenty five thousand. Wow. Alumni. How many kids does he have? Like his blood kids, like his actual biological kids. So he actually has. I don't know. I don't know the, the exact number, number. The exact number. Because like, to be honest, his kids are not so much. So, no, he doesn't have like. We're going to no. get a skull later. We are. Knowing the number. How do we not know? I believe <laughs> if I had to speculate, I think he has five, but to be honest, the reason why I don't know exactly, it's five or six. Okay. Right. And I'm sorry for anyone who I'm leaving out of that. But the reason why we don't is because 
like I said before, it's a huge family. Wow. Between whether it's the staff, which I don't even see them as staff, they're dedicated individuals who serve as family to these children, to each and every child. And when you ask the Rav, how many children does he have? He'll never say the amount of children that he actually has. You know what he says? What is he it saying? is what he actually has. I have over 10,000 children. I have over 20,000 children. I have over So I do want to, I, I know you may not like this, this comment, but... Yeah. Do his actual kids feel a little bit like their father is putting so much effort into other kids, which is an amazing thing, and like they're a little bit like they're the kids? From from you our know? interaction, and this goes back to what you said earlier, I think, like how is he, you know, he's on one hand, he's this personality, and yeah. he, he has his wife by his side, and she became yeah. part of it. Yeah. And from the small interactions we have with his kids, you know, we learned this a lot that these great educators, they, they set by example, right? And so they said, but he, how did he have time for his family? He was dealing with so many people. Out, yeah. But they grew up to be, they're all, in, they're all involved. They're all involved with Migdala Emek. Um, you know, he's marrying another um, grandson, grandson soon. And uh, we, it was actually supposed to fall on one of our trips. And then we realized, you know, we thought maybe we can squeeze it in between the Shever Brachas. And they said, no, this is our Shever Brachas. We're all here as a family. We, we don't have a lot of time with our grandfather because he's so involved in the mm-hmm. of Israel. But for us, we have our fa- our grandfather, our father. Mm-hmm. He's like you know. They also see him as Rabbi Grossman, and they're all involved in the organization, some way or another, in supporting it. And I think um, you know, it's this amazing thing to see. And it's amazing because sometimes you see that, like sometimes that if it could be a rabbi or a business owner, whatever it is, if someone's so involved in what they're doing, they sometimes their family is a little bit. You know, so I'll tell you even more about that, actually. And, and everything Mickey said is 100% accurate. Um, you know, I even had an, uh, a conversation with a rabbi. Yeah. I was sitting in my home here in Teaneck, New Jersey, with my children, and I got a call from the Rav. And the kids were in the middle of a million things and calling, Mommy, can you help me with this? Mm-hmm. Can you do that? And I pick up the phone. It's for Grossman. I'm like, yeah. I answer the phone for Grossman. <laughs> of course, I'm picking up. So I stop what I'm doing. I pick up the phone and I said, I'm so sorry. I, I picked up your phone. So, you know, the call so late. He said, don't apologize. There's nothing to apologize. I said, I'm just, he hears the kids in the background. And he said, you're with your kids? I said, yeah, yeah, but I'm here. I'm ready, you know, we're... Yeah. He said, stop what you're doing. Be with your kids, and then we'll talk. He's such a special man, and, like, you literally have the opportunity to be in his presence. I, I, it's, it's incredible. It's amazing. And the one thing that I, that I said before with, about Reprosman is that he literally saw each kid as, in, as an individual. Now... If a child, right, feels that they this is the right place for them or somebody sees that make the order is the right place, is there a waiting list? Now, I don't know who wants to answer this first, but is there a waiting list? And, like, how do kids get accepted? And does everybody get accepted? Or, like, you have to meet certain guidelines in order to enter make the order? I'm going to let Tara answer that, actually. But I do want to say, because yeah. I thought, as we were talking, you asked about our operations, you know, they're really focused in Israel. But Rev Grossman tells stories all the time. He has children from all over the world. I was at an event a couple of weeks ago, a couple of months ago, and um, it was in Brooklyn, and the Rabbi Grossman was speaking at this event. And in the middle of the event, um, this rabbi stands up, you know, because he's a very old friend of Rabbi Grossman. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this wasn't planned. He stands by, he says, I just have to say something. The people in this room do not understand where Rabbi Grossman is. And he wow. goes on for this almost 10 minutes explaining 
when he, they went to Russia together behind the Iron Curtain and they went to bring you know, things for the Jewish families and for the Jewish kids. And then they took these kids from this orphanage and they went to a hotel and they dropped off Rav Grossman there because they said, this is your hotel, now we're going to take the kids to the next. He said, mm-hmm. what do you mean? I'm not going to be at the same hotel. And he goes to the, he says, I sleep where the kids sleep. So they let all the kids sleep there. And a lot of kids, when there was the big, you know, aliyah from the Russian, you know, from Soviet Union, when it, after it fell apart, mm-hmm. they all came to Migdal Or. When the Ethiopian immigration, big operation in the beginning of the 90s, they all came to Migdal Or. B'nai Menashe, which is a more recent, a lot of them go to Migdal Or. And he randomly will tell us a story of a boy he met in Canada who he didn't have a family and he took him with him on the plane. He just told us yesterday the story about this uh, Japan. What? Like, he's sorry, you can't believe it. And I think it goes back to also, you talk about Lech, I just wanted to throw that in and I'll let you go about the waiting list. But um, the, um, you know, I, to me, that was also a lesson. Atara and I share a lot about. You know, there is, you know, certain advantages when we move, but of mm-hmm. course you're always, moving is not, not convenient. There's yeah. always a price you're going to pay. Yeah. Um, definitely when you're moving your whole family. And there's always a challenge. And we learn it from Rev Grossman. Yeah. I have neighbors who say to me, how did you move a country? I barely can move down the road. Um, but exactly. That's just, like just from so a logistical aspect. It's true. It's true. But if you really want to grow, if you really want to make a change, you have to be open to moving. That's, I think, Avram's call to Lech Lecha. Rav Grossman heard it, you know, he's had that feeling, that calling. He said, I'll be willing to move and make a sacrifice. And look what he, you know, it's a lesson to all of us. If you're willing to move out of your comfort zone, then you can really do great things. Mickey, that was one of the most, like, beautiful things in this entire interview. You just said it so well. No, I I loved it. I'm like, that's the clip we're going to use to, like, promote this whole thing. That was beautiful. Amazing. So it's actually very relevant what Mickey just brought up with um, the support that we provide to kids and individuals around the world. Uh Um, I'll start with a little story. Um, Just in the height of the pandemic, while everything was going on, everyone's struggling, many organizations and causes, unfortunately, had to close their doors either temporarily or for good because it was such a challenge, especially when we didn't know where things Mm -hmm. were going. And while that was going on, and we were helping individuals with food. Beyond helping the kids, we were helping uh, impoverished fam- families get food. I mean, okay. 40,000 families get these boxes, all amidst everything that was going on. And while that was happening, Rabbi Grossman found out that there was an absorption center. During the pandemic, there was a group of children that came from India, which was the Benin wow. Asher tribe. And they had arrived in Israel, and they landed in an absorption center. And... However it happened, because the rabbi is the rabbi, and there's always a story, he got word that there were 200 children that were in horrible living, living standards. Like, they were living in this absorption center where they really weren't getting what they needed in okay. order to actually... How old were these kids? A range from probably around 8 till 13 or 14. Very young. Young kids. Young kids. Some had family that I really felt like you were going to say teenagers. I was like, that's no, young. No, no, young, no, no young kids. Oh my God. And this is in, in the time, just this, I'm using this story as an example. Yeah. This is the time where you're just trying to get by. It's the pandemic, yes. right? You don't know what it's going to be. Right. But there were these kids. How could we not take them in? Now, we weren't building new buildings. It's the pandemic. We didn't have necessarily so much space. It's the middle of the year we found this out. How are we going to put them in? There were no questions asked. Okay. Zero. Those kids were having a tough time living in hard situations, I want them over here in Big Delaware. And Rabbi Grossman made sure that these 200 children amidst this oh challenging time for came, and we not only didn't close our doors, we extended a very warm invitation, restructured things on the campus, brought them in, and these kids, we just recently got a video of someone uh, had a bar mitzvah, 
and celebrated twin their bar mitzvah, which is a beautiful thing. This boy who has actually pretty decent English, okay. just so he is glowing, thanking this family that helped him celebrate his bar mitzvah. So they live with the families? So they and have been, it's actually a great question. We have lots of different types of programs within the Delaware. You can imagine. If yeah. you have 10,000 kids, you have 10,000 programs. And if you're Rabbi Grossman, that's a ton. It really is. And if you're Rabbi Grossman, you're. School, no? yeah. oh, we have multiple schools. We have yes. over 15 wow. schools. And it's from, it's from infants till end of high school. Yeah. So I won't that's really the, get into detail about what it is right. and like exactly how it operates because. Yeah. It's very interesting. Yeah. You know, you would think Miguelar, okay, so it's a it's the kids live there, but like no, it's so much bigger than that. Correct. So it's you, a did you, and Mickey, please chime in whenever yeah, you need to add or I'll tell you something about it. and I'm thinking about the waiting list. Again, a story that happened three weeks ago. I was at a wedding at a mm-hmm. popa and um, and I hear I see this rabbi and he suddenly speaking with someone in Hebrew, so I hear Hebrew and I say hi, we start talking a bit. And uh, I find out he's in the same business as I am. He's also a fundraiser. Okay. And he actually gets funds because he, um, he, look, he works with, uh, with Haredi youth who are like, you know, they, they're displaced. They're not in yeshivas and they're on the streets. And he tries to find, you know, schools for them, appropriate schools. Okay. So I said, well, we're very much in the similar business. I work with Ruff Grossman. So of course he knows Ruff Grossman. But then he said to me something interesting. He said, well, the kids that I work with, yeah, you know, they need help and they need support. And we try to find the right school. But Rav Grossman, he takes the kids that everybody gave hope of. He says he's willing to take those have nowhere else to go. And wow. I've heard Rav Grossman say this also. And that was to hear that from him, though, so inspiring. Because I have kids, you know, I got to find something that they can still study. They can still sit, yeah. you know, something a bit more. But he says Rav Grossman, that, he says those type of kids I don't even deal with. Now, I'll add to that, actually, just because... I am stunned. Yeah. If you see my face, I can't even talk. I honestly I guess can't that's why I just jumped in. Yeah, you uh, saw. I'm just like... <laughs> there was pause. I pause. Everything okay? I'm like, oh my God, that's a wild story. Your screen didn't pausing. freeze. It's just Amalia pausing. <laughs> exactly. We're not on Zoom here, so nothing's pausing. Oh my God. Yes, but I think part of, you know, to your question before is, as far as wait lists, I think we've demonstrated, really, if there's a need... That child will be yeah, and I hear that with now. us. Yeah. Um, and how do kids get to us? You also asked before, I believe. And really, there's just many ways that they do. There are many channels of entry, basically. So it could be we work together with the Israeli government, which is a huge deal because if you have the support of the Israeli government, it shows you. It's not just any cause that the Israeli government backs, yeah. right? We want to provide for the welfare of our residents, of our citizens of Israel, yes. of those who are underprivileged. And the government seeks the best to really say, okay, this is what the government's doing to help this situation. This I find challenge. that amazing that you got the government involved also. Oh, it's like, how do you get the backing of the government? Like, literally, everybody loves this man. To be honest, when you recognize that in order to succeed, you also want, you know, over the years, you see different causes, right? And people say, well, I'm sitting here in America, so if Israel can help, so why should I, right? Mm-hmm. Why do you think that? I mean, right. I, I'm sitting here now, like, right. if Israel can't help, it's an Israel mm-hmm. problem, right. why are we turning why to America? Why are we right. turning to England? Why are we right. turning... And I think the Rav, his chokhmah, like, he really got it from day one, is that if we want this situation to change, we need the government to be involved with this. We need the country to be able to back it and say, we recognize there's a problem, and because we believe in the way you're handling this, that what you're doing, you should see these kids. They're... They're making an impact on Israeli society, like you, like, like any. Well, you're bring, you're literally bringing these kids up, like literally, as you said, from infant all the way up. But like, you're bringing them up. They are the yeah. children. So, what are those main things that you actually teach these children? Wow. So, first of all, like I said, we give them. We always call them the three E's: the essentials, okay. education, and empowerment. Okay. We like to teach them beyond those, you know, beyond giving them love and uh-huh. support. That's number one, right? Giving them that feeling of family, 
that sense of care, um, a home, right? That's number one. That's teaching them something because these kids don't come from that. We take that for granted often, right? When we thankfully grow up in homes that are functional, we receive that. It's not something we need to be taught. It's something that we're given, we're gifted. And we don't even know that there's a problem, right? So they first of all need to feel and learn what love is. And that's number one. Yeah. And it's also actually in the way it's formed because we have in a lot of our schools with the you know older kids, it's we have something called the mishpachton, right? Because we talked about these kids. So some are orphans and some have dysfunctional families, but at the end of the day, no majority of the kids are there for during the week, and some can go home maybe over the weekend. It really depends on you know on their status. Um, and then this we have this format basically that these kids each live with a family. A lot of times these families are actually alum of Migdal Or. These are kids who themselves went through the system, uh-huh. got married, have functional families, have jobs, and came back to work, you know, got education, came back to work uh-huh. for Migdal Or. And they live, so basically it's an apartment, so you'll have kind of a side apartment where the family will live with their children, mm-hmm. but then they'll have a common area that everybody's living together. So when they're eating a meal, these kids are eating a meal with the family. When they're sitting in the living room, they're sitting together. We just renovated a few, actually. We finished the boys' one. We're in the progress of renovating the girls' one. This is also why, going back to funding, the government, at the end of the day, is going to give you, you know, maybe support your program. It's not going to build you buildings. Right. And definitely, 20 years later, you know, things need to be updated. And Grossman always wants the kids to have the best. When I saw the new Mishpachton, I was... What's Mishpachton? Um, so the, it's, that's what it's called. That's like okay. the dormitory. Um, basically, so it comes from yeah. the word mishpacha. Okay. So instead of just a pnimiya, which means like that's where you would stay, a dormitory, this is a mishpachton. This is a family room. This is a family place, family dormitory. So, you know why I, I love so this? Because you're calling it a dormitory, but it's almost as if the kid's adopted, not legally like adopted, but the kid's right. adopted by a family while living in a dorm. Exactly. And I've never heard of that thing. It's either you foster a kid, you adopt a child, but this is like the kid's able to experience a school environment with right. having its own parents. Right. They're living with other kids, and they, but they're seeing a family. That's why it's so yeah. crucial that the family's there, because that way they can really see an example. Yeah. Right? They're not just seeing their teacher during the hours uh-huh. or having some kind of extra curriculum. Did you it's, ever have... Oh, sorry, continue. No, I'm saying... Did no. you ever have a child that didn't get along with the family that needed to switch, or they're generally always... It's a perfect match. Do you know question? I don't know of that story specifically, yeah. but you have so many students. They could have happened. Yeah. And I think... To that point, I think that if there were a need and uh, something that a child needed more than what we were already giving them, mm-hmm. we're always there to assess that and see how we can yeah. make a change. If that's that one thing that we gave them at that moment wasn't working for them, okay, mm-hmm. so there's something else. Yeah. And that's, I think, the beauty of Migdal Or, because it's a network, and you spoke before about what yeah. it looks like. It's a network. It's not a school. No. It's not a dorm. Right. It's a network of support for these kids. And whether they're getting the love that we're teaching them, or they're learning to think and be grateful and have hakar hatov. Or they're learning to not only have hakar hatov, but to give back. As you said, three things. If I had to think yeah. of three of these values, those are three that just off the top of my head I can think of in seeing every one of these children. And that doesn't come by chance. It comes right. because you're listening to them. You're working with them. And if there's something that they're struggling with, of course I'll make that change. Right? If you have a leader right in front of you, yeah. someone who's emulating these values, I can't just sit here with that. I just received so much. Yeah. So let me go back and give others. And of course, to your question before, you know, if someone had a challenge... If someone didn't listen to you, if your teacher or if your parent in yes. your dorm, or if they didn't hear you, if your parent didn't listen to you and you were struggling with that challenge, you wouldn't end up at the place that you would be looking to get back. You'd be stuck in your challenge. 
So what's beautiful about Migdalorum, we spoke a little bit about the support from the government and why it's so important Mm -hmm. to go beyond the government, is that in order to provide so much more, and Mickey kind of alluded to it, but... There, Mikdal, where you don't show up and you'll get there. We're going to okay. get into the <laughs> Yes, I need to go. <laughs> I tried when I went to Israel. It didn't really work out too well. It is hard. It is hard to even understand it without seeing it. We'll put up some pictures on yeah. the screen. Also, yeah. that would be great. But yeah. you can yeah. you can see, I mean, this is always a running joke between me and Mickey that I'm going to go to this place. But I am. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do it. Every, every um, child, right? So if they are uh, talented in art, so we'll give them not only art therapy, but to learn the arts, right? They can go if they're talented in music, have a skill. We have the Israel Philharmonic partnered with us to help them, teach them how to play on the violin. We have an incredible violinist who now goes around the world performing. Um, All from these programs. Cooking Cooking. Cooking. Up a Future. We have a a program called Cooking Up a Future that kids, because not all kids are going to get, you know, they're not so strong on their academics, Mm -hmm. so we want to give them other you know, places where they can, you know, focus on. So there's a program called Cooking Up a Future with top Israeli chefs, you know, oh come also and do sessions with them. And these kids, you know, are working in that industry. They graduate on. with a with a major, and so that's the way it works. What? A major or a sort of like, yeah. it's not a degree, it's a certificate of a major in the culinary and arts and hospitality. And of course, don't forget. And of course, my horses. Equestrian therapy. Which, <laughs> you know what that is, Molly? I'm sure that's the first time. Equestrian therapy? I can't say it. Equestrian? <laughs> Does it have to do with like fish? So, no, uh, actually, the opposite. It's oh. horses with four legs. Oh, um, <laughs> that's incredible. Don't feel bad. I didn't so know what I, it was. It's okay. Oh, this is what I joked about before with Mickey is that I'm going to get there. I'm going to yeah. see the horses. But I think about, you know, as a parent with three children, um, I, you know, my husband and I constantly are looking to give our kids more than beyond the school, mm-hmm. you know, what they get in school. You want to give them after school activities, inspire them, connect them, engage yeah. them. So you think of all these different things. They go play sports. They go to an art class. They go to dance. They go to music. So... Those things all our kids have all of that. And you can trust me, the government is not part of that. Right. In order to give them all those extras, those are extras. That's not just checking out the box and saying, let's give this kid a home. Let's set them up. Yeah. No, I want to give them more. I want to give them not only what every child has outside, but more than that. I think they're getting more than what most <laughs> children get. Like, I didn't you do that. Horses, I didn't sure. get horses. They, like, I did not well, get that. Well, it's part that. of their therapy, but because, well, I'll say actually, this the, the horses that yeah. it exist on a program called, which is called Zoharim, mm-hmm. which is, um, it's a youth program, so that's for high school kids. Um, catered also, again, really for more from the ultra-Orthodox community, kids who, again, didn't find themselves in, you know, in the, um, in the right miscarriage, in mm-hmm. the, you know, structure. And, you know, for whatever reason, they weren't at home anymore and they needed a place to go. And they come, and that's why Zarim was founded. It was actually someone, again, went to Grossman. There was this piece of land. It was a, like a village between uh, Beit Shemesh, behind Beit Shemesh and Emekaila. It's a beautiful valley. Okay. And it used to be actually, it was for drug addicts. That was originally what it was supposed to be, a rehab for and drug it was, addicts. And it was mud on the ground. Right, there was Not nothing left. This is back in the eighties. Literally, the government. Ground. There were no horses there. Trust me. The government built the rehab, you know, village for drug addicts, and it closed down. It was nothing. They were they had nothing to do with this. So they said, well, Grossman, do you have anything to do with this?" So he said, "Well, I know there's a need now, you know, and I have been thinking about this. So I'm going to open up a program called Zaharim. So and that's where we have this, you know, the horse therapy and other things that go on. Wow. Um, and going about the waiting list, when I did a tour there and I met the, you know, we had a great manager there named Tzachi, and we walk around and I'm asking him all these questions you're asking me. How does it exactly work? How do kids get here, right? Yeah. He said we don't recruit. Kind of word to mouth. We got to be very sensitive about it. 
But he says, well, there's always people wanting to come, right? And more and more people, unfortunately, there is a need. So more people are hearing about it and more people are coming. Um, and I said, what do you do with kids, you know, what's like, who don't feel it, fit in the mold? Obviously, they need structure. So, you know, he was giving me this example. Unfortunately, some of these kids, you know, they already got to a place where they are, you know, using drugs. And, um, you know, obviously, there's a zero drug policy within the school. But what, so what happens if they get caught? What happens mm-hmm. if someone, you know, is tempted? Um, so they don't kick him out. They have this whole policy where they have like a separate building where he has to move from his regular dorm to that building. With, oh. It's not alone. It's not uh, isolation. But he's moved with, you know, with the social workers and with everybody else. And there's, you know, but he needs to have this like kind of time on his own. And he has to do like a certain kind of rehab <laughs> policy. <laughs> it's not a cheren. No, that's what yeah, I'm, I'm saying. It's not because you're not being isolated. But it's not with any other kids? I don't know. If, no. So it's no, like it's just a separate building, right, okay. from the regular room. Right, so I'll have a building with other kids okay, in it as okay. well. But that's where they know this is the time you need to like recalculate your ways. And there's a whole program that they go through during like that week to regain the trust and uh, go back. Right, so it's like and it's and again very very facilitated. Yeah, with, like everything we do is obviously with psychologists and social workers. You know, very t- you know we're not just thinking making this up as we go. Um, but again, it's to show that they're not giving up on it, on these kids. Yeah. And I've heard alumni come back and speak. They took a tour of actually, um, it was an NCSY group. I was there that day that we mm-hmm. had a group from NCSY who came to visit and they brought alumni of Zoharim, guys who are commanders, who were commanders in the army after that. Oh, wow. Um, a guy who's a soccer coach, you know, has started his own family. Great guys. And, you know, they talked about how Zoharim saved them. They said, yeah. this is the place that got me back on track. I was like, you it's know, better than any rehab. Yeah, 100%. that's what it sounds like. Hundred yeah. percent. It's a family. Yeah, it goes back to family. Exactly. So, where do you see this? If you could say real quickly, because I know this yeah. could be a huge vision. Where do you see Migdal R going in five years? So, first of all, Migdal R in general in Israel. Um, you know where we see Migdal R going is really continuing to absorb any of these children that need our support. We will be there always. Okay. Um, that's 100%. And unfortunately, the problem's not disappearing. Okay. Um, that's quite right, unfortunate. It's a bit sad. <laughs> it actually is. Um, it's a challenging situation. When I speak to a lot of people, I say, you know, how it's a horrible situation that that challenge keeps growing, but I'm thankful that Migzeller is there to provide for that Thank challenge. God. Right? Yeah. So unfortunately, the challenge is not disappearing, especially with things going around the world, whether it's what's going on in Ukraine and how that affects ecosystems around the world, whether it's what's going on in Israel and the political sphere, mm-hmm. uh, it's endless. Um, and where we'll be always is there to help these children. Okay. So that's 100% the direction. I have to add something, just yeah. so everybody's clear. When we say Migdal Or, and you know, I just said Zoharim, so I said that's catered for you know youth yeah. high school. We have Migdala Emek, which we said is from infants till high school. Rebbitson Grossman has a bridal salon where she, you know, takes care for a brides who need, whether it's just for the wedding or starting their life with essentials. There's Ori Israeli, which is a, it's a youth network. It's a, uh, what's it called? Um, a youth movement, basically. Yeah. All across Israel for youth. We talk about youth. These are kids who do have families, but what are they doing on their after hours? And they're bringing huh. them like, oh, so a Jewish, a much more Jewish education, chesed, yeah. involvement. And it's amazing what they do around the you know that time of year. Um, and we have Gan Yavnet, which is actually another program. It's also it's a bit smaller, but it's a size program that for mm-hmm. older Haredim who want to get a higher education, 
and get involved in the workforce in Israel. Uh-huh. So we also, that's something also under Migdal. Uh, I don't understand how this is even possible, how many things that there are. This is like, I'm sorry, like, it's hard my to... brain happens to me because I was, I, I knew about Migdalar before this podcast, but like, as you're speaking, my brain is running a million miles a minute because I'm thinking about all these, all these separate little organizations and movements that he created. And each on, one is a huge one on yes, its own. Yes, exactly. And as Rav Grossman said to me the first time I met him, and this has just happened last week, it's, it's uh, right before Rosh Hashanah, there's a project called Chag Saveh, right? They okay. provide food for families who can't, you know, bring food on their table. Oh they sent over 20,000 packages last right. week. And I said to him, and it's all over the Israeli radio, famous, you know, singers, soccer players, they all get involved, they support this. He says, that we do on the side. Right. You know, that's oh a side gig. Oh my gosh. 20,000 food packages twice a year is almost, that's the side gig of Migdal Or, so to speak, right? And to With everything what, going on. Yeah, and to strengthen what you just said now, yeah. it's like a supermarket of chesed, right? In the end of the day, our focus is obviously children, but to what Mickey said is we're there for every stage of life for a child. So starting from infants. Wow. All the way through when they get married, go to the army, go to university, whatever path they choose, and as a family, just the way, the same way your parents would yeah. be there for you, Migzeller is there for them. So my biggest question, Atara, is what are you doing here? Why are you not in Israel? Like, why are you here? <laughs> so I'm here, really, I, like I said before, uh, first of all, my heart's in Israel. Mm-hmm. And, and that's where I plan to be. Um, of course, I, Nikki and I both... And we spoke about Yurida. Yurida has a strong connotation. Yeah. Unless but what are you doing up. is what I'm trying to figure out. Like, you're, you did Yurida, you came here, but made the letters in Israel. So Correct. what does that do with America? Yeah. So America. So first of all, in order to survive, like I said before, we need support from around the world. In order to provide for these children the way we do and the way they need, we need support beyond the government. We need the friends of Israel. Oh, I love that. We do. Yeah. And, and it goes hand in hand with any um, child that succeeds. That success, that child that's making an impact now in Israeli society, that's a Haver Knesset or you know, a member of the Knesset or that is um, in the army in a higher position or is in business or high tech or wherever they are. That individual is succeeding because of the friends around the world. That success is attributed completely to direct involvement from people here. I love how you call them friends and not like donors or supporters. It's friends. It's all about the community that you guys built. It really is. And And I think, you know, know? so a lot of organizations have friends, but with Rav Grossman, as we said, you know, this chesed and the way he looks at every person, it really is. He is a person of connection. Mm-hmm. He brings our supporters are from, just like Rav Grossman has our children come from all realms of the background, you know, religious, Sephardi, Ashkenazi, non-religious, mm-hmm. you know, all over the world. You know, he doesn't look at your color or if you have a keeper or don't have a keeper. Yeah. He accepts everybody. And we see our supporters. They come also. We have all supporters from, you know, every every type of person you can think. Yeah. And when you speak about, you know, we spoke about how we have friends, right? And there's friends yeah. of, and they're really, they really are beyond friends. They are family. Um, because a family doesn't leave a child. A family is there through and through. And, and people who are sitting here, and to me, and my greatest passion, and what I see as a vision for here in the United States is it can't, you know, it's great to have individuals who support, but we all want to be involved in a community. Yeah. Individualized, you know, support is something that's so important because we need to grow as as one. Right? Yeah. I spoke about the power exactly. of one. Exactly. You need to grow as one. Yeah. But as an individual, we always seek to be part of something greater, a greater cause. And when we're sitting here in the United States, my personal passion is to always connect back to Israel. Mm-hmm. I want, you know, Jews around the world to feel that strong connection of family, of home, 
with Israel. So is that what you're doing here? You're trying to create a family within America while spreading the word about Mandalore? 100%. We are definitely in, well, look, we're throughout the United States. We're, yeah. we're you know, the American friends of Mandalore. It's across North It's America. not just New York. It's not just, there is a life beyond yeah. New York. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Florida, California, Texas, Chicago, Boston. You know, you literally cross, span across the, the United States of America. And our goal is really to create a sense of community and connection uh-huh. with the need in Israel to create that hope for each child, right? So if we if we create it one on one, that's yeah. important. But we didn't do enough. We have to create community. Mm-hmm. We have yeah. to. I say it so beautifully. We have to, yeah. and that's what we've been focusing on for the last few years. We've really looked at each individual, and we've had support for years. I mean, we're celebrating actually right now our fiftieth year since. Congratulations! Uh, it's a big deal. I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. Uh, 50. When is the 50th anniversary? 50th. I mean, right now. Yeah. We're in the middle of the celebration. We're in the middle That's of why we decided to do a Guys, let's do a Lachayim. Let's do a Lachayim. Yeah. Um, that's the reason we did a podcast. We said, you know, for the 50th, we think it's now it's time. We're ready for a podcast. That's amazing. So, I hear what Atara is saying about, you know, your goals. You really want to establish a community here in America. Do you have anything different or do you agree exactly what she's saying? So actually, exactly. I have to agree exactly. exactly. Okay. Otherwise, I'll get fired. Oh, no. Oh, she's your boss? God, God forbid. Tara, You're the boss? Oh, Tara's girl. I'm the executive director. I'm just the director of development. Oh. So just we understand the hierarchy here. Okay. So There's no hierarchy. I'm sitting away because I'm a bit worried, actually. We're partners. We're partners. This is my... But um, you're hired. You're hired. But seriously, <laughs> I know I have to be honest. On this, I'm going to give a lot of credit. I, I'm not going to disagree right. with you. I'll give you credit. Um, maybe going back to that family point and friends of um, Atara arrived here. You know, three years before I did, and I've worked with several organizations. Mm-hmm. And to me personally, one of the big you know reasons to move was also my long discussions with Atara when I was still in Israel and understanding this is a person that I can be a partner with and work with. And I saw the shift that Atara was you know, successfully taking the organization and focusing a lot more on communal events, small events with, you know, with a small set of people and different mm-hmm. groups, whether it's a men's night out, whether it's a chef's event with, for couples, whether it's a bashma, we just had a big event in Teaneck and oh, we had, oh. you know, again, it was, 300 people came. It was the second annual. Now we're planning one in Englewood. You guys are really awesome, honestly. We try. We you try. Just, like, you, you don't we stop. Like, still trying. You understand? Nikki's just talking and talking like this is like... <laughs> it sounds like it's obvious. This, you know? It sounds so, obvious, right? No, no the way to... that you're talking is just like it's natural. Like, yeah, we do this, we do this, we do this, we just finished this event, 300 people. I'm like, you're just saying it so nonchalantly. It's hard work. It's very, it's a lot of hard work and, you know, it's Baruch Hashem, we see success and, you know, it's great to see fruit to our labor, but, um, but we really feel like we're only scratching the surface, to be honest. So what what would be, what would be the dream? Wow. Um, we would have 10 Ataras and 10 Mickeys and we would grow our staff. (laughs) Seriously though. That's true. Not, not like us. We don't want people, we want more people. You can just do a 3D printer. No, yes, no, and that exactly. would, you, you can never <laughs> you can copy and paste that. But um, no, but we would love to grow. I mean, obviously, we think as more as we grow with our support, we can maybe grow our staff. And then, you know, we're now both, we're both, you know, um, placed in the tri-state area that's where we're living so obviously again we have board members all across the u.s and we have you know people supported from all all over the u.s but the more people we have on the ground the more we'll be able to you know successfully you know do more events like these 
Um, and I just want to say one, you know, we also, one of the campaigns we're running right now, actually, which is where I met you the second time, okay. Maria, was at our Sefer Torah campaign. Yes. Um, we had a Sefer Torah that is, uh, was, is being written by uh, an alum of Migdal Or, so who has, cool. we can do a podcast just about him, but who um, <laughs> came to Migdal Or, had no, came from a secular family, as a young child, very shy, he told us, you know, didn't really believe in himself. He met in one of his first classes uh, someone who was a Sofer Stam, and he said, this is what I want to be. Huh. And he set himself to be a Sofer Stam, and he became the best student in his class. And he even opened, uh, what was it, a school, um, like, newspaper. He, yeah. became, he was like the guy who took care of it. He was the macher in the school. He was the guy oh, who started very... to shop first thing in the morning, opened the doors right. up, let wow. everybody in. And was, I feel honored now that I met him. Yes, he got very much <laughs> involved. Um, you know, he looks, when you see him, you might think, oh, he's a bit more Haredi. Yeah. But he did go to the army. He was in the army. He has nine children lives in a settlement actually also and um is starting that his man own had shul. nine children nine yes. children looks so young yeah i saw the pictures nine children, nine children. there i know yeah. exactly <laughs> and um and, the, and he writes and he writes sifre torah and mostly sifre torah and uh we had the sefer torah which was you know also honored and dedicated for migdal or and uh we decided that we want everybody because we talked yeah. about how everybody gets behind migdal or and can support and relate to it because we have so many different programs, because of Rabbi Grossman and what he represents. And a Sefer Torah, really, in its essence, you know, it's, it's also about, it represents all of Kalal Yisrael. I love it. Right? I love it. Every, every letter in the Sefer Torah, there's an alacha. That if one letter is, is written, you know, incorrectly or misplaced, then the whole Sefer Torah is pasul. And that really just shows the achdut, right? The achdus, as you would say. The yeah. achdut. <laughs> if one person falls, everybody has responsibility. So the Sefer Torah, which is now running a campaign and we're really yeah. leading towards a peak of it on Simchat Torah, this is an opportunity for everybody to write a letter, write a pasuk, write a parsha, and get involved in it. You know that when you told me about this a few months ago or a few weeks ago, whenever it was, I asked you, I was like, can I write a letter? Like, can it be me? Because I always see the men doing it. Like, I never realized that like, a lady you know, couldn't do it. And when you said no, like the ladies can't, I was like, oh, this is like so hard for me. Like, oh my gosh, I just like, I feel like I want to be part of it. Like, how can a woman be a part of it if she can't write it? But then when I went and I saw him write the letter for me and like he took the mem in Rishmarecha, like, and and I was like, wow, this is so special. And like, it just, it's, it's so, it was such a special event. And I just, if you are looking to um, get involved and have a letter written for you or a pasuk or a parsha or a perek, um, definitely reach out. They're going to plug themselves in a minute. But this Torah, to me, the reason why I thought it was so special was because if this man is representing unity and the children who he is bringing up as his own are literally, like, reading it on Shabbos and during the week. I'm not sure if it's during the week. I don't know when you read the so, Torah. Uh, yeah, well, like, it's during the week and on Shabbat. And, and Shabbos. More important is also yes. this Torah was dedicated in memory. So, A, 100% uh-huh. of what you dedicate towards the Sefer Torah will go towards Staka, towards our children, towards our programs. And on top of that, the Sefer Torah is going to be used in Migdal or schools. That is what That is what really set me. Like, when he said it's going to be used in the schools, I'm like, so these children that are learning about unity and brought up with Hakar Tov and all that, these are the special children. 
that are going to be using this Torah, I was like, how could I not give to this? Think about how many mitzvahs you're getting in one. You know, you're giving tzedakah, yeah. you're writing in a Torah, you're helping underprivileged members of our yes. society, and you're giving them an opportunity to learn Torah and be a part of something. Like, it's just so off, I could think of more. But we definitely, <laughs> but just in uh, one thought, you're, oh my gosh, look at what you can do yeah. just by writing one letter. And we spoke about the power of one yeah. versus the community, individuality versus community. And it's constantly something that we're supporting both sides of. Yeah, right? you I wanna, see that. You want to have a letter. You want to have your parsha, but you also want to be part of something greater. It's so and true. And that's what this Torah represents. I was just thinking, it's you so know, true. it's so amazing that really the kids in Migdal Or will be reading from a Sefer Torah that Am Yisrael, that other kids, that other youth, that other people got behind. They're literally reading the Sefer Torah yeah. that was written by all of Am Yisrael. I love it. And I can tell you something else. You know, a lot of people, since the book especially, a lot of people reach out to our grossman because he's also a rabbi, and they yeah. ask for brachot which is very common. Um, and Grossman always is, happily does give brachot, but he always makes a bit of a joke. He says, I'm not a baba. You know, that's what those rabbis would like give brachot. Uh, I'm not a miracle maker. <laughs> and he says, but he always says, I'll give you a brachot because I do believe in it. But he says, the brachot you have to understand does not come from me. It comes from the children. Right? And many times also when we get requests from brachot, we get it to our office. Non-stop. People call our office and they say, can you please pray? I need a refu. I need a shidduch. I need this. Um, so, Rav Grossman gets a lot of lists of names, but we also let, because he says, you know, the kids, the kids in Migdal Or get names and they all together will, you know, say a bracha for you as well. So, oh, wow. Yes. That so is that so is really special. showing that connection again. Yeah. Um, and it's not only connection, but it's bringing back to what Atar said earlier. It's a give back. Yep. So right. like they're here and they're, they're learning. That is a way that they're learning to give back. Yeah. So Atara, how can people, if they want to support Migdal Or, which I really feel that everyone who's listening to this. Go donate, even if it's a dollar, five dollars, ten, whatever you can. Everything see what makes a difference. Every really single does. thing, and like these are people that they're they're dedicating their lives to helping these children who are making a huge difference in their own lives. Which imagine, of course, when I just want to say, like, if he wasn't here, what would be with all these tens of thousands of children? Would they be on drugs? Would would they not be alive today because they got into a bad situation? So you guys are really bringing up the next generation. So how can people? Number one, support, and with the Safer Torah, how can they get involved? Right. So first of all, you can reach out to us, and hopefully we'll plug in. Mahi yeah. will help us out with plugging in where you can go. Uh, people can get involved. We love to speak to everybody who's interested and to see how they can make a significant impact on their own. So it's mm -hmm. not just about the giving. It's about being a part of community. Okay. So uh, first of all, we have a great website for the Torah specifically. You can choose your parsha if so you want to get involved. And if you go there, it'll prompt you to the various Amazing. The link is in the description, so go check it out. Click it. Right. O-H-R is very important. Yes. Right. Uh, American <laughs> Friends of Migdal. Okay, right. amazing. The link's in the description. Go click it. Where else? Yes. And also, you can be in touch with us, 212-397-3700. Uh, and if you want to make a call, we'll connect with either myself, with Mickey. We'd both be thrilled to speak with each and every one of you to see how you can make a direct impact. And if you want to bring Mingzel or to your community and inspire others to do this really special and yeah. critical work, like you said, these kids don't have anybody else. Yeah. And if Migdal or were not here... We don't know where they would be. We don't. And um, and it's really just so important. So, Are you on any social medias that you want to plug? Yeah, Make Dollar USA. Uh, you can go on Instagram or on our uh, Facebook page, and we'd love to see you follow us. Um, we constantly post stories of things that are going on in Israel and events that are happening here. So if you follow us, we would love right. that. You'll Amazing. get both. You'll also get yeah. stories of what's going on in Israel. A lot of updates. I've been, yeah. We've been pushing a lot on social, so yeah. it's a great opportunity. Yeah. No, for sure. Go follow them everywhere on social media. All the links are in the description below. If you have not yet read this book, you are going to want to 
go on to wherever you can buy it. Their website, Amazon. I'm assuming anywhere, anywhere, any Jewish bookstore. I went into a Jewish bookstore uh, this week actually to buy tzitzis for my youngest son, and um, <laughs> and I saw the book right in front. It was like a lot of books, and that was right in front. I told him I'm very yeah. happy, to, pleased to see this. Yeah, I love it. Front, so. It happens to be right when I posted this, I got it. I was like, oh my gosh, my I didn't know who Rip Horseman was. Okay, I just want to let you know that. Um, it's okay, now you do. Now I do, now. and when I got the book, and I posted on my WhatsApp status, like my sister almost got me a book. It's so nice. The responses were like, he's amazing. Oh my gosh, we love him. He's so inspiring. The best rabbi. Oh my and. Oh. I got so many responses just from posting this book on my WhatsApp status, and I saw the tower. I was like, "Wow!" I didn't know who he was, but like, and I thought he was not alive. And then I was like, "He's living." That's why. Like when I heard he's alive and he was in five towns, which wasn't really true. <laughs> but I was like, "Oh my gosh, I gotta, I gotta really love him in this book." So he really is an incredible person from like the first page, honestly. When you're learning, he didn't the bomb, he missed the bomb, and he didn't die. Like, it's an unbelievable, <laughs> unbelievable story for for another time when we have a person on the show. Um, hopefully soon. But if you're not in this book, go check it out. Um, and thank you so much again, Mickey and Atar, for being here. Thank you. Yeah. It's been a real, real pleasure. I had so much fun here, and I learned so much about what you guys do and who you are. It's really a special organization. Um, thank you all for tuning in. Please share this episode with at least one person. Because if you were inspired, I know that your friend, your cousin, your neighbor, your family member is going to be inspired too. Go check out HebrewHitsRadio.com. And you can check out Hebrew Hits Radio on YouTube. I'm available on LinkedIn if you have any questions. Uh, if you're having a, trouble getting in touch with them, reach out to me at Malia Feibelson. We'll be back next time. Same time, Thank same you place. Thank very much, Malia. Thank you so much, Malia.